Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. We are continuing in this series called Choose Your Adventure. And as I was thinking about a series title, as I was working on the messages for this series, I I remember back to when I was a kid and I used to read the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Anybody remember those? I talked to a fifth grader uh, just just recently and asked if they still are writing those. He's like, I think so. I think I've seen them in the library in the school. I'm like, okay, it's still a thing. But Choose Your Own Adventure books, I really liked them because you'd be reading along and then you'd come to the bottom of a page and something is about ready to happen. A decision is about ready to be made. There's, there's, there's like this fork in the road. And then at the bottom, then it lets you choose which page to go to depending on which choice you choose. I always liked that. You know, I wasn't the author, but I was like getting into the story and I could actually choose which direction I wanted to go or which way I think this mystery needs to be solved. I always enjoyed those books. Isn't it like that in life where we are constantly coming to forks in the road because we are constantly forced to make choices? We have to make choices. We make hundreds, if not thousands of them every single day. We make Choices And the reality of choices in our life is that choices lead us somewhere. Choices lead us somewhere. You never make the second choice first. You have to make the first choice, and that leads you to the second choice. And if you're here and you want to get over there, the only way to get there is to make a choice. And to make another choice, and to make another choice, and to make another choice. And if I'm going this direction with my choices... And I'm like, well, I want to be over there. I'm never going to get there if I keep making choices in this direction. Let's choose your own adventure. Yesterday, large group of people were in this room celebrating and honor, honoring the life of a man named Homer Yoder. Homer Yoder had been a pillar in this church for many years, a pillar in his family even longer. And as I went around and talked to a lot of different people... I I was intrigued about something. Now, as I've been to many funerals, when I was visiting with people in this funeral, I didn't hear anybody talking about his favorite hobbies, the things that he loved to do, talking about his possessions, talking about his careers. I didn't hear anybody talking about any of that stuff. Everybody, everybody that I talk with was talking about how this man was a real follower of Jesus. Everybody that I talked to was talking about his integrity, talking about the choices that he had made, talking about his faithfulness as a husband and as a father and as a man of God. And and as the tributes began in the service, I'm listening there and I'm just straight up inspired. Because here was a man that people weren't talking about the amount of money he had in his nest egg or the favorite things that he loved to do in retirement, they were talking about how he loved the Word of God, how he lived with an urgency to share the gospel with anybody they came in contact with, how he was a real follower of Jesus. What a tribute to someone's life. I have to ask you on this day, what do you think would be said as a tribute of your life? Well, what if your life was boiled down to one sentence and that's what you were known for, what would it be? 
In the Old Testament, we read of many kings of Judah and kings of Israel. And interestingly, at the end of each of their lives, or almost all of their lives, there was an epitaph. There was a, a sentence that they, they would take the hundreds of days and thousands of days that they lived and the hundreds of thousands of choices that were made. And at the end of their life, there was one sentence epitaph, one sentence tribute, one sentence that boiled their life down. And it was either one or the other. It was either he did evil in the eyes of the Lord or he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That was it. Hundreds of thousands of choices, thousands of days, I'm sure many, many accomplishments for each one of them. And yet at the end of their life, that's all that remained in the scriptural account. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord or he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Their entire life boiled down to one sentence. Our lives are made up of choices. Choices that lead to other choices. Choices that can define us. Choices, here's the thing, they always lead us somewhere. And as we continue in this series, Choose Your Own Adventure, today's message is focused on choices, specifically the choices of one of the kings in the Old Testament by the name of, of Josiah. You can read about him in 2 Kings. You can also read about him in 2 Chronicles. Let me begin by saying that something very significant happened to this particular person by the name of Josiah when he was only eight years old. And I got to thinking, like, what was I doing when I was eight years old? Uh, not a whole lot, <laughs> to be honest. But I remember I was in third grade in Mrs. Woodruff's class. I don't know if anybody else had her. Uh, she was pretty good. And uh, somehow throughout the year, uh, the teachers got together in the third grade, and they have all the classes, and they, they um, specified six people, and they called them uh, the super six. There were six students in third grade that were specified as the super six. Now, I like to believe it's because of our leadership ability and scholastic achievement that we were in the super six, but uh, come to find out it was because we got in trouble more than all the other kids in third grade. <laughs> I remember one day in third grade, I'll, still, I'll, I'll never forget this, one day in third grade, I don't remember what we did. Allegedly, we had affected the human race in some way, I don't know, but during recess and all the other third graders get to go outside and play kickball, we had to stay inside and the, the, the teacher came in and drew a, a chalk circle. Six of us lined up, drew a chalk circle, and so we had to stand on our tippy toes during recess and have our nose in the circle. That was our punishment. I don't know if they still do that today. Probably not. But I'll tell you what, it was a great calf workout. <laughs> One of the super six named Andrew... One of my friends, halfway through recess, started crying. I'm like, that's lame. He should not even be in the Super Six. <laughs> when I was eight years old, I'm standing on my tiptoes in a chalk circle. When Josiah was eight years old, Scripture tells us that he became the king of Judah. When he was eight years old. Parents, can you imagine if your eight-year-old suddenly became the king of a country? You're like, just clean your room, right? This guy became the king of his country because his dad 
was murdered, and he was next in line when he was eight years old. Now, there were certain things that happened to Josiah and around Josiah early in his life that he had no control over. I'm talking about prior to age eight. There were just some things that happened to him that were difficult, were challenging, and he had as an eight-year-old, he had no control over it. First of all, his, his dad, who had just been murdered, his dad was an evil king. He actually was an idol worshiper. He refused to follow God. He ended up dying at a young age. His grandpa, his grandpa was named Manasseh. Manasseh was maybe even more evil than his dad. His, his, his grandpa, Manasseh, was so evil and messed up that he even sacrificed one of his own son's on an altar to a false idol. This man desecrated the temple of God that was set apart to be holy. Jewish tradition records that it was Manasseh, Grandpa Manasseh, who actually ordered that the Isaiah prophets, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament that we revere, would be sawed in two. Jewish tradition believes that's the one, that's the king who did that. Remember how you read in Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Faith? There were some who were sawed in two. Isaiah, it's believed, was one of those. It was Grandpa Manasseh who did that. There were things that happened around Josiah that weren't fair, weren't good, weren't right. There were things that happened around him that affected him, and he had no control over it. Imagine growing up in a home where, where his dad, this evil idol worshiper, is, is the one that you come home to after school or going over to grandma and grandpa's house, and it's Grandpa Manasseh. I mean, the ungodly environment that Josiah grew up in would have affected him immensely. And maybe there are some of us who are here today that are saying, hey, that's my story too. Because if you look around where you're seated right now, I'm telling you, there are people around you that did not grow up in a godly environment. Sure, some of us have, but not everybody. There's a lot of people in this room right now that didn't have that opportunity to grow up in a, a truly godly, spirit-filled environment. For some of you, your story is that uh, the, uh, there, was many, tr there were many traumatic moments that you experienced, scary images and scary uh, words that you were exposed to. Some in this place were abused, some were neglected, some were taken advantage of. There are some who uh, did not have a father in the home or a mother in the home. There are some who were uh, exposed to uh, pornography at a very, very, very young age. Some who were left alone and, and, and given access to evil. That's the story for a number of people who are here today. It might be your story. You'd say, well, I wasn't given a fair shake. I agree. It wasn't right. I agree. It wasn't godly. It wasn't God's best. I totally agree. My heart breaks for anyone who grows up in an environment like that. But I want to say this, that what happened to you when you were younger that was outside of your control does not have to dictate the choices you make now. And we see that in Josiah's life. There were so many things that happened to him that were outside of his control. And yet, Scripture records that when he was 16 years old, 
he began to make some choices that began to affect his life, and not just his life, but his family and even the trajectory of a nation. When he was 16 years old, he made this choice. I call it choice number one. Josiah chose to seek answers. He chose to seek answers to life's biggest question. Second Chronicles 34.3 says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. He began to seek. He began to seek. This word in the Hebrew means to seek in order to find answers, to inquire, to investigate. I believe that he began to ask some of the big questions. Why am I here? He's 16 years old. He's like, well, there's got to be more to life than this. What's my purpose? I'm talking about the big questions in life. He, he came to a point in his life when he wanted the dots to be connected. He wanted to figure out well, what's going on inside of him and around him. He wanted to try to reconcile what he's hearing, what he's seeing, what he's feeling. He's trying to put it all together. And he begins to inquire, to ask questions, to investigate. I want to say to all the parents who are here that if your kids are asking questions, that's good. Welcome the questions. You're here and you're a teenager. Ask the big questions. You're a young adult. You're an older adult. And you've got big questions. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Is there more to life than this? And the list goes on and on. Ask the questions. Lean into the questions. Don't be like, oh, that's unanswerable. I'm going to put that over off the side and just do life. Josiah didn't do that. When he was 16 years old, he kind of opened up the question bag. And he began to investigate. He began to inquire. He began to, to wonder, like, what, 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 what's the purpose of all of this? And I love that he did that. Because God was pursuing him just as he's pursuing every single one of us who are here in this place. And every single person that we're praying for. God is pursuing them as well. And, and, and Josiah would have realized at, at some point in his life, he's like, there's got to be an intelligent designer. There's got to be. There's got to be. Even if my textbook says something different, they're like, there's got to be an intelligent designer. He knew and he felt in himself that there was like this moral compass. Like he, he, could, he knew like what was right and what was wrong. He knew when people in his kingdom were unfaithful to their wife, that, that's just wrong. That when some of his troops would run away scared in battle, that that's not commendable. Like, like he just, he didn't like it when people lied and he felt bad when he did. He's like, there's got to be something or someone putting something inside of me because the same moral compass I have, they have it too. What's going on? What's going on? You know, the Bible is very clear that, um, and we see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that uh, God has made his eternal power and his divine nature clearly seen to everyone. Clearly seen to everyone. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul goes on in that passage and says that men are without excuse, women are without excuse, because the existence of God is made clear to everyone if we will but open our eyes. And Josiah, at age 16, was having his eyes open. He's like, there's got to be a reason for a lot of these things. What's my purpose? He leaned in. I want to encourage you. If you've got some big questions, lean into them. Talk with people. 
Lean into it because I will guarantee you this. If you become a seeker of the truth, God will be faithful to reveal it to you. He's faithful. And this is exactly what he did for this young man named Josiah as Josiah began to seek the truth. If you fast forward another 10 years, Josiah was now a 26-year-old. He's a young adult at this time. And during the renovation of the temple in Jerusalem, the priest found the book of the law. And many believe this will be the scrolls containing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of our Old Testament. This was found in 2 Kings 22, verse 10. It says, then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, hey, the priest, Hokai, has given me a book. And, and Shaphan read it, from the presence, read it in the presence of the king. Now, likely at age 26, this was the first time that Josiah heard about the biblical account of creation. This was probably the first time that he had ever heard about where people come from. The first time that he had heard about um, wickedness on such a grand scale that the God of the universe um, destroyed it through the flood, saving only a remnant of people. It would have been the first time that, that he heard someone articulate that there is a coming salvation, that there is a Messiah coming, that there's one that we can look forward to. The first time that he had heard audibly the Ten Commandments and the results if they're not followed. At age 26, here's Josiah being confronted with truth. At age 26, he had to make the decision, what do I do now? What do you do when you're confronted with truth? What do you do when you read this book? Oh, it's probably for other people. Oh, that's outdated. Oh, is it even reliable? What do you do with this book? Or do you read it and be like, well, it says this right here, that this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do it. It says right here that this is what I need to believe, so I'm going to believe it. What do you do with this book? And Josiah, age 26, has this fork in the road. What in the world is he going to do with this book that was read to him for the very first time in his life? And what we see from Josiah is that he made another choice. He chose to humbly respond before the God of the universe. And I hope that that is your response and my response as well. He chose to humbly respond. This is what the book says, um, uh, humbly respond. Talking about repentance, we read in 2 Kings 22, verse 11, that when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to the priests, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. And when confronted with truth, he felt guilty. He felt remorse. And we can all relate to that, can't we? The feelings of guilt are real. I don't like them. I've never met anybody that does. It might feel different for different people. There are times in my life when it just feels like a heaviness on me. There are times in my life when it feels like a sucker punch to the gut. How could I have done that? At times when we might feel dirty, stained, 
And in all honesty, we have to say we're guilty. And that was Josiah. Josiah, as he's reading the truth, he's like, well, I have no other recourse other than to admit my guilt. And he humbly responded before the Lord. And because he humbly responded before the Lord, the Lord actually responded because that's what God does. When there is a repentant heart, oh, his kindness leads us to repentance. And when we truly repent, when we truly humbly respond, God responds. Because he's so faithful. And this is what happened to Josiah. He humbly responds before the Lord. And as he did so, God was already sending an answer on the way. It came through the prophetess of that day named Huldah. You see this in verse 18. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard, Josiah. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste because judgment was coming. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Because I have heard your repentant heart. I've seen your repentant heart. Therefore, I'm coming in with forgiveness. I'm coming in with grace. I'm coming in because I love you. That is what God oftentimes is just waiting for is a repentant heart. You've sinned, I've sinned. God's waiting for a repentant heart. And when we have that, when we own it, what we have done, God comes in faithfully every single time. He is so good. So loving, so forgiving, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's our God. And he swoops in to Josiah and says, hey, I got you. I hear you. And Josiah then had the decision to make once again. He's going to choose his adventure. Once again, it's a fork in the road. How is he going to respond? How is he going to respond to, to God saying, I've got you and I've heard you? Is he going to be like, hey, sweet, that's awesome. Peace out, God. I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure we're good. That's not what Josiah did. He actually committed himself fully to the Lord. And we might think, well, that's obvious. After, after this experience, I mean, becomes king at eight. At 16, he starts asking some big-time questions. God miraculously provides the answers to what he's asking through the word. And then, and then God hears his humble heart and repentant heart. Of course, he's going to commit himself fully to the Lord. But that doesn't always happen. Can we be honest? I'm sure I've prayed prayers at certain times and then just walked away. And Josiah is praying the prayer. But he's not just praying a prayer. It was literally from his heart. He meant and committed himself fully to the Lord. You see, when we come to Christ uh, for salvation, when we repent of our sin, understand that that's not just so that we can get a new label above us that says Christian. Do you know that Jesus never even called anybody to be a Christian? That's a label. You see it three times in the New Testament. Three times. It started out as a derogatory slur against followers of Christ. That term has been watered down. I've traveled overseas and been in countries where they say everybody's a Christian in America. That's what they've said in different places I've been. Everybody's a Christian in America. I'm like, oh, not that I heard. <laughs> That's news to me. Uh, Christian. It's a label. 
Jesus never called us to be a Christian. Jesus called us to be a disciple. The word Christian you'll see in the New Testament three times. How many times do you see the word disciple in the New Testament? 269 times. Jesus called us to be a disciple, someone who comes to be with him, someone who comes to learn to be like him, someone who says, I'm going to adopt his ways, his teachings, his commands. I'm going to adopt his rhythms. I am going to be a disciple. See, praying a prayer might, might help you to feel like you can just put another something in your backpack of life. You know, you got your career, you got your Christian, you got your whatever, and you're going on in life. That's not how it works. Jesus didn't call us to be a Christian. He called us to be a disciple, one who denies himself, takes up the cross, and follows him. And so what Josiah did, unfortunately, is not common, but it is inspiring. He committed himself fully to the Lord, fully to the Lord. 2 Kings 23 verse 1 says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He got them all together, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. It's possible that he sat them down and said, Get ready, it's story time. And he started in Genesis and read all the way through Deuteronomy. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul. Josiah's covenant was to follow the Lord and keep his commands, to follow the Lord, to be a disciple, to follow after the Lord. Today we've celebrated those who experienced water baptism. And for those of you that experienced water baptism and now you're in the service, I'm telling you, you're making a statement saying, I'm in. I'm dedicating my life to Jesus. I, I don't necessarily have all the answers. I haven't got it all figured out. There's definitely a work that God wants to still do in me. But I'm in. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm denying myself. I'm taking up my cross, and I'm following Jesus. And that's what uh, Josiah did. In the Old Testament covenant, he was all set to follow God, being consecrated, fully consecrated, surrendered, and even unashamed as he announced that to everybody that was there that day. I want to share one more choice that Josiah made, but you see him, you know, he, maybe he wants to be over there, and so he's, he's beginning to seek life's answers, and, and God reveals, and, and he's like, when I'm confronted with truth, he responds in this way, humbly before the Lord, and then, then he's committing himself fully to the Lord, because he's like, I want, to, I want to get there, and so continues on, and what we see in this last choice, and this is one that's, that's showcased in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, verse after verse after verse after verse is this, he ruthlessly eliminated godly practices from his life and from his city and from his nation. Ruthlessly eliminated it. Let me tell you that uh, Josiah didn't mess around. He declared war on ungodly practices in his life and those around him. 
I will sum up uh, the, the chapters that we're in right now. You can read it later if you want with the descriptors that are in the scriptures about what Josiah did regarding and in relation to ungodly practices. Look at these descriptor words in our scriptures. He removed, he burned, he did away with, he took out, he tore down, he desecrated evil places, he broke down, he destroyed, he pulled down, smashed to pieces, cut down, demolished, slaughtered, got rid of, and then he even looked around to see if there's anything missing. Can we pause for a moment and ask ourselves, how do we treat sin? How do we treat compromise in our life? How do we treat pride? How do we treat selfishness? How do we treat ungodliness? In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, in speaking to the Galatian church, said that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified. He's speaking to a Roman world where crucifixion was the most feared, most gruesome, tortuous execution that had ever been known to man. And as he speaks to them, he's like, This is how you deal with pride. This is how you deal with ungodliness. This is how you deal with deception. You crucify it. You Kill it. As one author said, you launch a military campaign against it. And that is what Josiah did in his nation. He didn't mess around. See, when it comes to sin, as a follower of Jesus, if we're following him in his ways, we have to understand that when it comes to sin, we can't baby it. We can't pet it. We can't coddle it. We can't massage it. We we can't manage it can't keep it. Everything about it must go. It must go if we're following Jesus Christ. Josiah made a choice. He was going to seek the answers to life's questions. He was going to respond humbly before the Lord, commit himself fully to the Lord as was for him. It was like, that's, that's, that's the obvious response. Maybe others don't do that, but he's like, I, this is, I have to do this. And then he went on a rampage to ruthlessly eliminate ungodliness in his life. I would like us to take that even a step further. As a follower of Jesus, let's ruthlessly eliminate, even if we can, triggers of temptation. Because sometimes we can continue to um, allow ourselves to be in an arena, uh, expose ourselves to certain things. It's like, well, it's not sin, but you know that you've taken that next step and it became sin. And if we follow Josiah's example, we don't mess around because sin is deadly. And at the end of Josiah's life, there were words written about him that you just don't read about all the other kings. Chapter 22, verse 2 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. What a statement. Does that mean he lived perfectly? No, 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 no. His heart was to serve God. In the next chapter, chapter 23, verse 25, there's another epitaph. He just got a couple of them because of how he lived. It was this, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength, 
in accordance with all the law of Moses. Wow. What a statement, what a tribute, what an epitaph for a man. To come to the end of his life, and that's what's written about him. That was God's view. Here's someone who stood out. Every day we make choices. Some would say every day we make thousands of choices. We make a choice, which leads us to another choice, which leads us to another choice, which leads us to another choice. Our choices take us somewhere. So what, as you go into this week, will be the motivation to make godly choices? What will be the motivation as temptation comes to say, no to that, I'm choosing this? What's the motivation? I want to share three with you very quickly as we end this message. Motivations for making godly choices. The first one is this, because you, I know this, because you want to please God. I know it. I know you. You want to please God. A motivator for making godly choices is because you want to please God. God, the God of the universe, who created you, who placed you on this earth, who gave you purpose, the God of the universe who sent his son, Jesus Christ, down the cross for you. And if you've experienced salvation, oh my goodness, you know what that's like. Sin removed, his righteousness replaced. And you're like, I want to please him. He is God. He's done so much for me. I'm going to stand before him. I want to please him. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote, so we make it our goal to please him. I don't know if there is a greater goal in life than that, to please God. And we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Having faith in him, trusting him, pleases him. Honoring him with our choices pleases him. Living like Jesus pleases him. So we make it our goal to please him. A motivation for making godly choices tomorrow, the next day, and the next day, because you want to please God. I know you do. Another motivation is this, because you love others. Because you love others. Love is a great motivator. There are many in this room who would willingly give up both of your kidneys if your kids needed them, right? Come on. We wouldn't hesitate. We wouldn't hesitate. There are many in this room If you're a parent, you would give your life for your kid. If you're married, you would give your life for your spouse. There are many in this room who have such close friendships that that you'd be like, yeah, for my friend, I'd lay down my life. Might be some others, you might not. But yeah, for a close friend, you, you would consider laying down your life for them. Why? Because you love. One of the greatest motivators, I believe, in making godly choices is a love for others. A case in point would be St. Augustine. St. Augustine was not always considered a saint. In fact, in the fourth century, he chased women and money and prestige. But when he became a follower of Jesus, he began to think back to his former life, his sinful life and his ways and the ways of all people. And St. Augustine wrote in his reflection about sin, that sin is love turned in on itself. Wow. Centuries later, Martin Luther wrote, sin is man 
turned in on himself. Because the reality is that sin is always selfish. Sin's not selfless. Think about any sin that you've ever committed in your life. Was it selfless? No, 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 no. Sin is always selfish. It's always selfish. It is trying to get something out of it, trying to get something that you want or that you believe will make you happier, whatever it might be. Sin is always selfish. And when we make it about us, we inevitably and eventually hurt those around us whom we love. It's just how it works. Eventually, our sin finds us out. We cannot escape the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. God will not be mocked. Eventually, when we make it about us, let's just call that sin, when we make it about us, it eventually hurts the people around us. And most often it hurts the ones whom we love the most. The ones that when we wake up in the morning, we're like, of all people, I don't want to hurt them. I'm telling you, a love for others, a love for others is a great motivator for godly choices. I have a friend. Years ago, he told me that when he traveled, and he had to travel a lot for work, that when he traveled for work, because of temptation that he had experienced in his life, he would tape the picture of his family on his TV. Because for him, that was a weakness. A picture of his family. And he would sit up or lay in bed, and when temptation came, he would look at his wife and his kids. I'm telling you, love for others is a great motivator for making godly choices. Because when we make it about us, we always hurt those around us. Because you love others. And finally, one more motivator, and this is absolutely huge in my book. It's this, because you can. What's the motivator for making godly choices, a follower of Jesus, as you head into this week? Because you can. See, God made us humans very different than animals. We have the power to choose. Think about a hungry wolf. Hungry wolf sees a rabbit. A hungry wolf does not have the capacity to think, you know what, maybe it is about time I become a vegetarian. <laughs> or, you know what, last time killed a rabbit, got in trouble with PETA, I don't want that again. The hungry wolf cannot process through and make that choice. For a hungry wolf, it is see rabbit, chase rabbit, eat rabbit. That's it. If you wonder what's going through the mind of a hungry wolf, see rabbit, chase rabbit, eat rabbit. Next day, do it again. We are not put together to be like hungry wolves. We are not put together like that. That's not how God designed us. A hungry wolf cannot look at a, at a, 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 a scrumptious rabbit and think, wow, you know what? The way that I feel today, what I want, I think that that could cause harm to this cuddly cute rabbit. I don't think I'm going to do that today. I think I'm going to refrain. I'm just going to pet him. I'm just going to you know, hold her a little bit and just 
let her go. No, 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 no. See rabbit, chase rabbit, eat rabbit. We humans are built differently. God has built us as human beings with the capacity to choose. We're made in the image of God. We have the ability to make choices. I can choose to take this step. Whether it's a financial decision, it's a relational decision, it's a spiritual decision, it's a physical health decision, I can choose to take this step and then I can choose to take the next step. We have the capacity to choose. And even though we have the capacity to choose, we have to be gut level honest and say that there is a real power to sin. So even though we have the capacity to choose before Christ, we are operating in something the scripture calls the sinful nature. And it is a real pull. It is a real power that, that attracts us and pulls us in. It's like the bug and the light. Like, I can't stop myself. It's so beautiful and the bug can't stop even though it's going to get zapped. Sin has a real power. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross... He dealt a death blow to the penalty of sin, and he dealt a death blow even to the power of sin. So when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we are right then and there in that moment given access to something revolutionary called grace. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, And now also we have been given access by faith into this grace. Access, open door, into this grace in which we now stand. It's the word charis in the New Testament. We see it over and over and over again. Many definitions. One that I land on and is an accurate one is empowerment. It's empowerment. Empowerment to be saved. Empowerment to live a life for him. God gives us the capacity to choose and to choose well. It's called his grace. It is power to do what we can't do on our own. What is a motivator for making godly choices as a follower of Jesus even tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Because you can. Because you can. For the follower of Jesus, there is never, ever, ever a time when you have to sin. I can't handle it. I just have to. That is not biblical. The enemy is lying to you and you're taking a hook, line, and sinker. As a follower of Jesus, you never have to sin. But as one who is created in the image of God, you have been given the capacity to choose. Therefore, you can sin. You can sin. But as a follower of Jesus, why would we want to? Because we want to please God. Because we love others. Because we can choose the choice that honors God. Every single time, every single time, every single time. Would you please bow your heads with me? This access into grace begins with being in right relationship with God, having peace with God. It begins with salvation. I want to give opportunity in this place for uh, people who are here today, people who are watching online, and you have not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior as those who have experienced water baptism today are professing to. You, you, you maybe have, but it's been so long ago. And, and, and you feel like you've rejected the Lord. You've walked away from him. I want you to know that today can be the day, the day, the day of salvation in your life where you come into right relationship with God. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. Will be saved. It's a promise. 
So in this place right now, if you're here and you have not yet accepted Jesus, or maybe you've run from God and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, you want to accept his forgiveness and his grace, you want to surrender your life to him as Josiah did, would you just slip up a hand right now in this place, all over this room, balcony, main floor, I didn't see any hands. If I missed anyone, love the opportunity to pray with you even um, individually after the service. But as heads are still bowed, I would just like us to respond in, in, in a, in a f- for a few different things. One is this. How many of you in this place say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I'm actually, I've actually got some big questions of life that, um, that I'm thinking about right now, and it's like I, I need to find the answers. And you're just at a place in your life where you need I uh, need to find the answers to some of life's biggest questions. You're searching. You're searching. Would you just slip up a hand right now? Yeah, you're searching. Yeah. Number of us, yes. Okay, okay. How many in this place would, would say, you know what? There are some things the Holy Spirit is convicting me of in this service and, and some things I need to repent of before the Lord. I, I, I need to tell him I'm sorry. I need to repent of that. I need to respond humbly to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How many of you lift up a hand and say, there, there is something. Maybe it's an attitude, an action, a deed, whatever. It might be a habit. Yeah, yeah. A practice in your life. Yeah. Lots of hands. Put your hands down. And then one more. How many of you in this place would just say, you know, I, I want to commit myself fully to the Lord. Like, like, and if that means ruthlessly eliminating things that aren't godly, I'm in. But you're just saying, you, you know, you've already accepted Christ, but you're just saying, you're just saying, by lifted hand right now, all over this place, say, you know, I, I commit fully to the Lord. I commit fully to the Lord. I'm all in. Yeah. Would you please stand? Many who raised a hand, they're seeking answers to some of life's biggest questions, and I encourage you, even this week, don't wait. Lean in. Lean in. Lean in. Have conversations with people. Ask the Lord. I'm telling you, God's going to be faithful, and he is going to bring you the answers in his time. Just keep seeking him. Even this Wednesday night, uh, we're going to continue the class that we have right now about the reliability of Scripture. Is it inspired? Can we trust it? We're leaning into some of the big questions. encourage you to come on out. But in this place, there are many of us that need to respond humbly before the Lord. We, we need to uh, and want to commit ourselves fully to the Lord. We, we want to do business with God. And as I was praying about the end of the service, I just felt like we need to just open up the altars. And so we could have opportunity to seal what God's doing in your heart. If God's doing something in your heart, maybe you lifted a hand, maybe you didn't, but God's doing something in your heart, allow the Holy Spirit to seal that in your heart before you leave. For, so that it doesn't just be a thought, like, but that you're doing business with God. And, of course, we can respond where, where we're seated in, in these rows, but I encourage you, if you lifted a hand, before you leave, would you come and spend a couple moments with the Lord just around these altars, just sealing that, Lord, I believe you're speaking to me. Uh, help me, teach me, lead me, guide me. I want to respond. And we're not going to have an official dismissal. Andrew's going to lead in a song, but not going to have an official dismissal. When you need to go, feel free to do so. But we want these altars to be open for those of us who, who just, we want to seal it with the Holy Spirit. We want to respond. We want to do some business with God. That's what these altars are for. Have a great week. And know that God is pursuing you. Run toward him. 
Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and pray about what you just heard. If this message spoke to you, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to office at cccmidland.com or connect with us on your favorite social media at CCC Midland.